0: Usted está escuchando Radio Tierra en el 95.1 FM Hood River, 95.9 FM Stevenson, 107.1 FM Parkdale, 107.7 FM D-Dales, Casas, El Latido del Gorge, su radio comunitaria. Usted está escuchando Conoce Tu Columbia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada 15 días los martes a las 7 de la noche, Estamos aquí esta noche con ustedes, Carlos Marroquín.
1: Buenas noches, welcome.
0: Está con nosotros Becca Winier. Hello. Ella es una nativa americana de este área, es una mujer pescadora. Va a hablar con nosotros sobre Bradford Island, un tema el cual nosotros ya hemos tocado varias veces, pero esta vez vamos a aprender de la perspectiva de un nativo de esta área y pues bueno vamos a a entrevistarla en unos momentos y vamos a tener una conversación amena con ella y vamos a aprender sobre la importancia de Bradford, sobre la importancia del salmón que es uno de los peces en esta área que son el el símbolo de nuestras comunidades. También vamos a hablar, Carlos Marroquín, vamos a hablar sobre lo que sucedió en este en Texas, en El Paso, Texas, el el hecho tan desafortunado de la masacre de un grupo de personas ejercido por un supremacista blanco y que estaba deliberadamente Buscando afectar a la comunidad migrante mexicana. Bueno, vamos a hablar sobre el impacto que este hecho ha ocasionado en nuestras comunidades, no solamente en la comunidad migrante, pero también en la comunidad en general en este país. Este, vamos a hablar sobre esos temas, pero vamos a empezar con esta este, entrevista. Quiero recordarles que este es un programa bilingüe, así es de que ponga atención, afiné el oído y vamos a tener unas conversaciones en, de inglés a español, de español a inglés y vamos a hacer lo más interactivo. Así es que vamos a empezar. Uh, Beca, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Carlos, welcome. Uh, Becca, uh, you are uh, what I describe as a fisherwoman. What yeah. that means?
2: That means that I catch fish.
0: <laughs> it's really simple, right? right. It's, it's, that's an activity that's really simple. That's her economic activity,
1: yeah. She yeah. Basically- but
0: besides that, that has a lot other context with it. It, it has culture. Right. It's, a, it's a staple food in our area it,
2: it is and i think um probably it's probably one of the most honorable things like in our culture is to be a fisherman or to be a hunter or to be a provider um so being being a fisherman to me is it's it's a lot more than like you said than just fishing and catching fish um i think we're as as tribal people we're culturally connected to all of our like like our first foods or, or things of that nature um to, to the water specifically. I mean, we have um, our own stories of beliefs and creation and how we're connected to those things. And so um, when you talk about being a fisherman, it's not just about being a fisherman. It's really a way of life, and it's really deeply rooted in, in our belief systems.
0: So a it's una, that's a culture that it's been uh, built through generations and generations. Right.
1: And, and so the, the choosing to be, to be a fisher woman or fish in general, is it uh, something you are guided through or is it a decision that kind of comes within your own self? Like, I really want to be connected to the water, you know, and, and things like that.
2: I think, that, I think that my story is a little bit different. So I come from generations and generations of fishermen. So um, there was a time that fishing wasn't that easy and I feel like fishing has always been a struggle for our people. And um, there have been a lot of, I don't wanna say wars, but in a sense wars against um, between the, our tribal nations and the government um, to maintain these treaty rights. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that there was, um, I initially set out to be a fisherman. I grew up as a fisherman's daughter, so I've always kind of been on the banks and it was always just something that was just a part of my life. So, um, but I think that traditionally speaking, it's the men that are the fishermen, um, in my family, uh, my, um, the only, the only boy that was born was tragically hit by a train outside of Cooks, Washington, Um, and I think after that, it really, it took its toll on my dad, you know, um, and when I got a little bit older, he really pushed all, all of, um, me and my sisters to, to fish because these places, like the way that it works, if you don't fish them, then essentially somebody else can come in and fish those sites. Um, and he never wanted to see his grandchildren, like my son or my nephew or my nieces, um, grow up on this river and not have any places to fish and so I kind of look at myself more like um, a placeholder in that sense to be able to pass these traditions on to my children to my nieces and my nephews and it's been me and I keep hoping that my sisters will come home that they'll come back to the river and um, I'll be honest the river's kind of always just called me and it's something that's bigger than me and it's hard to explain and um, It's about being connected it's about um, staying connected to be able to walk in the same places as my ancestors have um, to ensure that my son still has places to fish and that he understands and he stays not just connected um, to fishing specifically but to the people Um, it's really it's a way of life and um, it's really um, I'm very passionate about what I do it means a lot
1: so it's very interesting, you, you are raised in a family of fishermen, people close to the river and you see that and that's a calling of you as well. So it's, it's also the importance of preserving culture, but it's also sometimes it's almost like a natural call because you want to be closer to a deeper uh, tradition that for you is very important to preserve. You know, that due to tragic incidents, you have to be stepping to the front and start that. But even if that was not the case, I get the sense that you probably will be over there uh, also uh, growing and being close to the water. Because what I'm hearing is that it's just not fishing per se. It's It's deeply rooted. There is a bigger cultural structure behind being on the water, dipping, as you were teaching me earlier, okay. you know, getting closer. And it hasn't always been an easy profession or an easy activity to do, you know. And I know for the Native American population is is more spiritual than just the, the the actual act of removing a fish from the river. It's a little is a little deeper than that. But you you bring a good point that it hasn't always been easy to exercise that right that historically had belonged to you. You had to be fighting constantly to maintain that, not just for your son to have a place to fish, but for many generations to come. It's a right that you had from the original, and now you had to fight in order to preserve it and to maintain it, you know, and we had to remember that. You know, we're only... uh, we're only visiting in here you know this doesn't really belong to us and so it's it's, it's very it's very fascinating what you're just describing
0: and it's a, and it's really interesting because we see on our conversations we see a different faces of that reality right mm-hmm. because i see you uh from a previous conversation we had and you talked to me about that you were a baby and and be is, is, uh, um, on the side just uh yeah. on your uh, on on the scaffold right? right being a baby and just mm-hmm. being with your parents when they were fishing you were on the side by the river uh, listening to the the voice of the river mm-hmm. you know it's something uh, to me is something like uh, eventually will call you you know yeah. regardless of the conflict that comes through uh, put you in front of the net fishing net but uh, somehow I, I, I pictured the same as Carlos said that I picture you being a, a fisherwoman, you know, because that's that's you. That's you grow up on the side of the river. And a pioneer, right.
1: you know, you, you bring the point and traditionally men had been the ones stepping up to right. to fish, but you also are breaking uh, cultural uh, historically uh defined roles within the community also breaking a little bit which speaks to the fact that every community is also growing and changing and adapting to new opportunities for everyone up there that's 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 very valuable yeah
0: so so vika how many fisherwomen are on the area how many I think women there are do some, you
2: know? there are some there's probably there's more than a handful but it's by far it's it's men that fish but there are some really awesome amazing fisher native fisher women out on this river too so i always i always have to give my ladies their props because they it's um like we were talking about today when you're coming up the the freeway you can see it's it's nuking out there so um it's It's windy very dangerous and you know when we're out there on 19 foot boats and bopping around it's um you know it takes a, a mental strength it takes um physical strength especially when you're hand pulling like I just recently put hydraulics on my boats but I come from hand pulling when um, literally like in the spots that my dad fishes you've got three currents that collide with each other and so when the river can sometimes be nice to you but a lot of the times that that current is pulling so hard it takes everything that you've got so um, this year I plan on being on the boat with my dad and my son which is awesome because it'll be the all generations of us. Um, so I'm really, really happy to be able to fish with them and just to, and I did, and you're right. I, I grew up along the banks, you know, and I think that my dad's so funny. He's, he really, I think that he only showed me the good about fishing and and not so much of the hardships. I can honestly tell you I had no idea how many sleepless nights he had or how many times he was getting up because my sister and I would be sleeping in a sleeping bag, you know, and waking up with fish and he was always so humble about it and it was really just a way of life I didn't know until I really started fishing myself how incredibly difficult it was. So, but we're here.
0: One one of the things that makes me think about fishing on the gorge it's, it's a struggle, but also a, a daily experience. I, I wonder how many stories come up every day, you know, with the fish that you're pulling because of, of the, the struggle, that, that the river being so fierce. I mean, like you said, it's not an easy river. We have a, a lot of wind, a lot of current, and, and it's not easy, you know, uh, temperatures. I mean, right now we are on a summer, but a spring and fall fishing. Yeah. Can't imagine being on the river with cold wind and uh, raining and ice
2: pouring down rain pouring down in rain. The I mean cold. sideways in yeah. the cold, hurricane-force the... winds, and yeah, it can it, it's pretty. It can be pretty brutal.
1: Yeah, driving and... along the freeway, you can see some of the romanticism that it can occur. Like mm-hmm. to me, for example, I see people over there fishing, and you see a little bit of the bobbing of the the boats and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I'm looking what you know, almost a quarter of a mile away. Right. And so it looks very pleasant and it looks very peaceful. But when you see the white caps in the river you start thinking like, whoa. I mean this is and I've been in that river, you right. know, not fishing, but I can I can feel the the current how it changes and it's and it's moving every in every direction. So there's no time to rest. You have to be really on all you have to the be time.
2: All the time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And if I didn't love it, I think I probably would have tapped out already, <laughs> but I do. And I, I love it. And I think that there have been so many times there have been there have been a handful of times I really questioned, you know, um, what kept me fishing. And every time I get on the river, I just know it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I just I have to trust my heart and my heart's right there. So
0: so one of the things though also I think is to um, with these conversations to give a better perspective to people that goes and buy fish from the native uh, uh, communities you know uh-huh. because uh, definitely they are buying a fish that they were basically fighting for their lives in both ends you know the fish and the fishermen because of the conditions of the river you uh-huh. know which is an unforgiving force it's a lot uh, of native uh uh, members of, of the community scared that they lost their lives on the river. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, That's since a really I've been living thing. here, I, I every year I hear that people get lost on the river. Mm-hmm. You know, people that, that they couldn't retrieve, they got...
1: The river is very dangerous. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a very dangerous river. And I mean, I'm always amazed to see the Native community doing an activity that is a call for them and as a connection to the area and it's an identity to mm-hmm. to the group in in this area but what happened to the fish you 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 get the fish mm-hmm. and what happened to it what, what 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 do you do with the fish
2: so i mean we do we we kind of do lots of different stuff i think initially like like there was a time really like with salmon you couldn't sell it for very much or you know fish buyers were all I don't know if they just monopolized but the the prices were set so low and I remember my dad telling me he's like you know he was really that was really a concern for him like that prices would stay very very low um and so I took it upon myself to really work towards marketing our fish so we um we clean them out right away, that's part of the care um, of taking care of your salmon. Um, some of it goes to the market down here at Cascade Locks, um, some of it depending on how much we're catching. so. This year has been a, a pretty poor year. We had a really poor uh, spring run and a, a really poor summer run. So most of my fish actually went to Cascade Locks, but in years where we've got more of a plentiful run, they might go to places like Ocean Beauty or some of these bigger buyers or some of the local restaurants here pick up our fish. And so, um, but it's been a lot of, I think there's been a big push for, for change, I think, um, instead of just going to the fish buyer so we sell a lot over the bank
1: great and when you say low runs do mm-hmm. is it a, any unusual this is very unusual or, or the river flow i mean the, the run fluctuate like some years you will get a good run or... so we
2: just we actually we just came out of um record run years like in 2015 2016 um and it's something that i really had to speak to with my dad because i know in the 80s we had some really poor runs um and so and he's been on the river since he was 10 so um you know, kind of comparatively, like, are we looking at something that was similar? Are there um, other things um, at force? I think I get really concerned um, about water temperatures, um, about what's going out in the what's going on out in the ocean. Um, there's there's so many factors and so many things that go into that come into play when you're talking about salmon, salmon habitat um, the tributaries. Um, and I'm, I'm really worried about our native stock of fish. You know, there's, there's a really low returns. And so I've been really humble this year and I'm very grateful that our tribes have put that on the forefront and, um, made sure that we're taking care of our future years for, for our fish. But it's, it's really hard to say. And I talk to our fishery guys a lot and I'm always asking questions and I'm always, um, because it is a big concern and I, um, I worry that there won't be salmon in the future for my son if we don't start taking care of some of these issues.
1: Can you elaborate a little more about how do you preserve uh, fish uh, towards the future in order to preserve that it's gonna be a, a run pretty much?
2: So so our tribal nations, they'll come together um, and they decide basically a, based upon a forecast. So we get a forecasted amount of fish. And tribal nations are allowed um, a certain percentage of that, so we have a certain escapement. Um, but with the the forecast being so low this year, I feel like our tribes, like our, our, they've kept a real conservative. They've kept they've they they've kept us off the river quite a bit this year to preserve that. Um, I think right now I'm just looking for our tribal nations to really take care of our fishermen because there's a lot of these people in these villages like Lone Pine, um, Lyle, um, Celilo, uh, Cooks Washington, like all of these places where our tribal people really rely on these salmon. And as much as we want that, we, we want returns, we also have to make sure that our fishermen are also being taken care of in that sense too, otherwise it will completely just go away. So I think our, our tribes are playing it very conservative right now
1: because because it's cultural but it's also economics I mean right. this is a way of life you know this is a survival too I mean this is what brings and uh, uh, brings an economic uh, income right into the, the families that preserve and maintain and continue this, this tradition
2: right and there's a you know and it's, it's, um there's a story about our fish and the way um at a time that our people were starving, and um, the fish made a promise to take care of us, our salmon did. And so the people made a promise to take care of our salmon. And I think that's kind of where we're at in this situation, and how I feel, um, I feel, I don't want to say empowered by that, but I feel like it's not just a choice it's a responsibility that we have to take care of these fish and ensure that seven generations ahead still have fish to come so it's really really important that we take care of these fish.
1: You, you talked about tri- tributaries too mm-hmm. and that's something people forget a lot of time you know the right. fish come from the ocean into the river but they're also looking for little small streams and little tributaries that uh, are we're all connected so we got to make sure then, you know, some of the fish makes it through the river to the tributaries so they can lay the egg and then we can maintain the cycle, the cycle going. So it's not just water temperature in the river, it's tributaries and it's all this other uh, ecosystem that it plays a big a big part on this on this balance of preserving.
2: Right. And we have to not just think about, like, I, I am not here just to speak up on behalf of um, people per se but we have to remember that the wildlife and the, and the habitat that also rely on our, our salmon we, we, it's important that we think of that that too so
0: So basically we're talking about multiple obstacles that fish has to go through in order to uh, end up on our tables uh, with our families right. or being part of the ecosystem feeding other species other animals one of the things that I think these conversations are really important is because a lot of the community it's not just the native uh, uh, community that fishes there is a lot of the Latino community Mexicans that they're going to fish now Mm -hmm. there is a lot of the Anglo community a lot of anglers that go and fish every day and and all of us, we need to know and to understand that we, that salmon will take care of us, but we need to take care of the salmon. Mm-hmm. And we need to easy the path for salmon to go through, to their, uh, the places where they can spawn and give life back. And then we can feed from it and help them to go through all these obstacles because it's, it, it can, it, it can be temperatures, pollution, um overfishing, uh, dams, you know, all these predators. Uh, I heard there is a lot of, uh, some species of fish that they're predators that are not good mm-hmm. uh, for this area right. and, and how to take care of that. So it's so, uh, I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's so many obstacles right. that need to go through. And we also need to help for salmon to go, to be able to pass those.
2: Right. Right. And and also predators like sea lions that we've seen that aren't um, natural to this area of the water. Um, So so these things, I think we've kind of in a sense, we've created some of these problems Um, and it's it's really time just to take a step back and get a little bit more. Remember where we came from and that we are essentially connected to everything. And so just scaling it back a little bit. And
0: and, uh, with this, I will say that it, it takes a village. It takes the whole community, not just the native community, but the, the well we we all are communities that we live here now and we have the responsibility to participate and ensure that salmon will thrive because right. that's the only way that we can take care of salmon and salmon will take care of us. Right. And that's the, the the deal that was made. Mm-hmm. And That's something that we need to honor. If we are in this area, we are fishing in this area, we need to honor the deal because we become part of this community. We are here and I don't think uh, people who move to this area move for a year or two. I think people move to stay here longer, to have families and bring roots to this area. So it's our duty to participate. One of the things that uh, comes with the participation of the community we were having um, a campaign uh, that we were talking about an area on the river that has been highly contaminated. And uh, this time we're not talking about salmon because it's not the only fish that thrive on the Columbia, the leaves on the Columbia. There is other species that people also eat, like uh, the bass, sturgeon, uh, lamprey, Walleye. Walleye. So all those species that live, and and provide uh, food to our families, to our tables, to our communities. Mm -hmm. And there is a site like the Bradford Island that has been over contaminated because because of years of the army corps, or engineers uh, dumping electrical waste on the east side of the Bradford Island. Over, after these decades of doing this, they create this uh, contamination on this site. Mm -hmm. So which now, that levels of PCBs that they dump on this site it, they're been impacting the local fish the resident fish which at this time the department of ecology or the health department in Oregon they had an they have an advisory for people to not eat resident fish and we have to be clear we have to specify we are talking about resident fish just fish that lives in the area most of their lives, which is the um, bass, sturgeon, mm-hmm. lamprey, right. and these other species that live there. Um, so, but we have a lot of people, a lot of members of the community from Portland, from from the Dells, from Hood River that goes on fish on this area, and they eat the fish. They bring it to their families, to their tables. And at this moment, as a members of the community, we want people to participate and join forces to demand the government to do a proper clean up on this area. So, and, and that's something really important to do. And, and what I see is we have uh, the native community like Becca as, as, a, as a family, A community that depends on fishing is stepping forward and recognizing that issue, that crisis, and demanding the government to do a proper cleanup. Right. So, uh, from you, I want I I want to 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 know how you feel about these fish being contaminated.
2: I think you know it was kind of actually. Um, I connected with Columbia River Keepers initially over the warm temperatures and these low fish runs. Um, and so through that, I have actually learned so much about Bradford Island that I just had no, I had no clue. And I, I literally sell fish in Cascade Lock, so it's lit, like right behind me. And um, I think that when I initially heard about it, it was really just a, it was probably the initial fish advisory that had come out some years back and it just said not to eat it once or twice a year but when we sat down with the gentleman with the with the DEQ and he started talking about levels um number one the the levels of PCB that are being found in those resident fish as well as the levels that are safe to consume it was astonishing like it it's it's not only um I think it's urgent. I, I sometimes feel like things in my life, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bossy, but uh, I feel like things should be really easy. You just, this is obviously a problem. I don't see anybody really disputing that this is a problem. I think that, um, so in talking to him and trying to determine what the real issues are, it comes down to funding. And how do we take care of this problem and I feel like um, with the levels that were detected I, I'm pretty sure he said something like a hundred and seventy thousand parts per billion and only 0.57 is safe yes. that to me is an urgent message that we and in, without this public pressure it's not going to change why would it if nobody's complaining nobody's saying anything it's like we have the sleeping giant sitting behind us um, and it's really sad because um, sturgeon are these prehistoric beings, and I always, I always joke around that I'm the sturgeon whisperer, you know, because um, I have this like kinship, this thing about sturgeon, and we're literally poisoning them. And if we consume it, if it's, if it's specifically caught within a mile of the dam, so not upriver, not up John Day, not by the Dalles, not in Cooks, but specifically within a mile of Bradford Island the amount of um, PCBs that are being found in them, it's horrific. It's And it should be more public, and I don't know why we don't see more signs or um, there, there isn't more public information being put out to people. So I feel actually really blessed to be part of this group um, that cares because it's going to take a lot of people that really care to make this change. And with this, um, with the funding being pulled, um, it's going to take a lot more public pressure.
1: We have a crisis, and we, yeah. we need to make sure that we continue to voice to uh, to everyone. You know, then we have a crisis right here down the river, you know, and we have to really uh, continue the struggle and continue to educate people mm-hmm. on what is safe and not safe to be consumed near, near Bradford Island, but also maintaining pressure. So some changes will start to happen because we do have a major, major contamination site right here in our backyard and we need to start speaking about it, you know? And it's up to everyone who has any contact with the river, not just people that fish, but everybody that lives around, you know? The river is for everyone and the river affects us in in every way. So this is important to continue to um, voice and put pressure to the people that make this kind of decisions so we can start seeing some serious effort beginning to, to develop and, and Bradford Island and a cleanup plan being put in place.
2: Right, and not five years or ten years down the road. Like, it needs to be put into place and into motion now.
1: One of the things that I see
0: and I really appreciate from you and, and your family is also that you guys are st- stepping forward in order to clean up. Uh, regardless of the bad kind of misinformation that can affect your business as a, as a fishing family that, that depends from the fish, but you are taking the right step into saying, you know we want this to be clean because it's not fair for the whole community to be picking fish from this area and not on this area. you yeah. know and, and I think that's really important. Because one of the things that we want to make sure is that people understand that these fish that is in the advisory is not a migratory fish. It's not salmon. It's not uh, lampreys. It's steelhead, coho. All those fish that are uh, migratory, they are safe to eat. The problem is with the resident fish, uh, what we consider what is being considered resident fish as uh, um, bass, sturgeon, um, uh, uh, crappie. uh,
2: Walleye is one. I know walleye. Walleye. (laughs) And, And
0: there is some other species. If you want to visit the Columbia River Keeper website, you will find one of the fact sheets that we have, and you have all the names of the fish that they are safe to eat and what is not safe to eat. So this is, uh, Bradford Island is a problem that is should concern to the whole community, a problem that on which the whole community should come together and demand the government to do a proper cleanup. Right, right.
2: I agree. And I'd also, li- I'd like to say that, you know, uh, it's, it, we have a moral obligation, I you know, in my opinion, we have a moral obligation, but I'm also not here to hurt our Native communities. I realized, like, I had um, somebody who I'll, I'll, I will remain, I won't say their name, but um, that was really concerned about me speaking up or speaking out, that people are going to get the wrong information, or take that information and interpret it differently. So, when we're talking about Bradford Island and we're talking about resident fish, I want to emphasize it's really just those resident fish, as Ubaldo said, that are being caught within a mile of that island. So, if you have fishermen that are further upriver catching sturgeon, those aren't those aren't the fish specifically that we're we're concerned about. It's it's those that are are swimming close to that dam that reside in that specific area and I don't know maybe you can point out is there a map or a location like can you on the Columbia River Keeper's website of where Bradford Island resides like where that is like physically
0: yes yes there is a, a map on the fact sheets on the columbiariverkeeper.org website uh, you can find those fact sheets and you can see the map and the uh, specific area where the um, advisory is great 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 and this is um the topic that we were talking about for the last few shows and that we believe that's really important to talk and talk to the community about these issues because it's important to participate uh we're gonna change a little bit on this conversation and we are going to talk about what happened in texas in el paso texas we're gonna um, have a conversation and we're gonna um, give some uh, our perspective of what happened, what we should do as a community, and be more proactive in order to uh, help prevent these hate crimes, uh, terrorist attacks to any other community in our country. Vamos a platicar sobre lo que pasó en el Paso Texas, cómo esto ha afectado a nuestra comunidad. Cómo nuestras comunidades se han visto realmente este, afectadas, pero no nada más la comunidad mexicoamericana americana o, o latina, sino la comunidad en general, ¿no? Cómo este incidente en el cual una persona con un tipo de mentalidad de supremacía blanca decidió ir a una tienda eh, comercial y este y disparar sin motivo ni razón. bueno tenía sus motivos y sus razones pero en realidad no había motivos ni razones para disparar y matar a tanta gente
1: bueno es un es un hecho uh, a trágico no horrorífico definitivamente no lo que hemos sucedido y es uh, uh, un hecho que empieza a hablar de una serie de eventos que suceden sistemáticamente no en cu- en el en el que la, la comunidad latina es o la comunidad de color o la comunidad minoritaria es la comunidad blanco para este tipo de, de, de expresiones, de ataques, de, de supremacía de una raza sobre otra. ¿no? Es eso, algo completamente inaceptable y representa y es la, la, la idea de una filosofía, de una idea, ¿no? de una doctrina hasta cierto punto, ¿no? en el cual tú decides a ah, que este grupo por cierta razón, no, tú no estás de acuerdo con este grupo y vas y cometes un acto tan uh, brutal, ¿no? Con, con la mentalidad específica like de, este, de, este, de este muchacho de disparar a la comunidad latina. Ese era el objetivo, ¿no? Y encuentra un, 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 un target, no encuentra un, un, una un lugar donde, donde realizarlo y lo realiza en un área de, de, del país donde la comunidad mexico y la comunidad mexicana del norte de México, Ciudad Juárez, pasa constantemente. ¿no? Esta es una comunidad vibrante en el valle del Río Grande, ¿no? donde afecta de los dos lados. ¿no? A la mayoría de, de, de las personas que fallecieron, o no, que fueron asesinadas, ese sería realmente el término correcto a utilizar, eran a, a ciudadanos mexicanos no, que vienen constantemente por la actividad económica, cruzan la frontera no, para a, para hacer sus, sus, sus compras. no. Y es horrorífico pensar de que tenés, vas a este país a hacer una, 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 una actividad diaria y tienes que sufrir este tipo de consecuencias o estar expuesto a estas posibilidades pero responde a la idea de la filosofía del odio, de la política del odio de hacer blanco de una comunidad y hacer este este tipo de acto de cobarde desde mi punto de vista, ¿no?
0: Y desafortunadamente una retórica que viene este dirigida desde el máximo representante en el poder en este país, ¿no? Una persona que ha estado constantemente alimentando esta retórica de que el inmigrante, el mexicano, viene a cometer crímenes y crear caos en este país, ¿no? De...
1: Cl- claro, no es nada, no es nada nuevo. O sea, es, es todo, un, como decía yo, una serie de eventos, ¿no? Que se han estado dando, obviamente, no, han uh, uh, difundidos y uh, y ayudados y apoyados porque no hay a uh, personas en diferentes uh, áreas de poder que se manifiestan en contra de ese tipo de comportamiento. Al contrario, se ha seguido motivando, se ha seguido alimentando este tipo de filosofías, este tipo de ideas, ¿no? Y lo vemos claramente, ¿no? Y volvemos a lo mismo, ¿no? Volvemos a lo mismo, la misma historia en este país uh, de, de que hay estas uh, matanzas masivas, ¿no? Y se vuelve como un evento normal, ¿no? Pero parte de, de, de todo esto viene el, el asunto del control de las armas de alto calibre, ¿no? Y no hay medidas en, en lugar para poder hasta cierto punto tratar de controlar un poco este tipo de, 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 de acciones, este tipo de, de actos violentos que no, no los ves en, en muchos otros países desarrollados realmente. Este es un fenómeno bien norteamericano.
0: It's, it's, it's algo bien interesante, and I would like to, to comment to Becca about what we're talking about. We're talking about what happened in El Paso, Texas, a couple of weeks ago, where a white supremacists came to a, a store and killed 20-some uh, people, and uh, most of them uh, Latinos or Mexicans, and thus was his target. He specifically said that he was targeting Mexicans. And that was he wants to kill, and one of the things I was uh, reading some of the um, uh, manifest after the incident, and also he mentioned about that he was targeting Mexicans on their allies. So, which one of the thing is our communities are not safe, and not just not just immigrant communities or communities of colors, but everybody who do not agree with them and their rhetoric. So everybody in this country is a risk to being uh, killed because you do not agree with these people.
1: Yeah, this, this is a group with really narrow-minded uh, uh, goals, you know, then uh, try to also intimidate. But we have to remember that in spite of this brutal act and how, how difficult this, this is for the community, let's not forget that the community is strong. You know, we are a strong community and we're going through a time of sorrow right now and we're all feeling the pain and we all feeling uh, uh, vulnerable to a certain point. But let's not forget that the Latino community and the communities of colors in this country have a big opportunity to also change. And we have tools and we have opportunities for us to to do something about it. And, you know, historically... The, the Latino community has been kind of dormant or communities of color or minorities in this country have been kind of dormant, but it's getting to the point in which uh, this giant, you know, we're going to be the, the, the biggest minority in this country in less than 20 years. So the sleeping giant of the Latino community uh, is waking up and we have the support you know, because we are a big force into this, uh, into this country and we're here We're all Americans, we're here to create this country, you know, and bring it to the place in the world that really belongs. There was a good letter this morning in the New York Times and several other newspapers about these very prominent Latino personalities, artists, intellectual, you know, uh, musicians and all kinds, basically uh, pronouncing against this sort of violence, but also, let's not forget then we're also going to become stronger after these sort of events. We are here and we are going to, to make our voices heard.
0: And one of the things that, that, to me, that is important to know and to know us as a community, this, we are not the only community that's been targeting. Through generations, through history, all different communities have been targeting Native American communities that they were displaced, sending to boarding schools displaced from their own land, right. pushed away from their own culture because of this rhetoric of the white supremacist.
2: Right. And it's, I mean, they, they had um, a white supremacist rally here in Cascade Locks, like what, 10, 11 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. So um, I think I heard about... Um, Texas like maybe the Monday after and I remember watching on the news because I've been out selling fish all weekend and I'm doing the fish thing and so my world gets very narrow um but just heart-wrenching like it, it is it's heart-wrenching and I think I I come from a place where I think that my dad's generation probably felt that um that harshness more than I did um But i feel like i'm living in the twilight zone like when i I just didn't grow up with there being this divide and we are we we are so concentrating on all of each other's differences when we should really be focused on what connects us all um so i i remember that was just like last week that wasn't that long ago Um, just feeling sorrow in my heart like this is the place where we're raising our children and my child I hope that I hope that our children feel safe how do they feel well
0: this is one of the things that makes me think about can can you imagine being a kid these times Mm -hmm. where you have to go to school and at school they teach you put your head between your knees and hide
2: our children feel vulnerable.
0: Exactly. I mean, can you That's imagine happening. that happens almost every week in every school? Right. Do that for years. What's the soul of those kids are going to be in 10 years? They are going to be assuming that something's going to happen to them, and they're not going to be able to stand up and, and for their rights, right. for their right to live. I mean, it, because somebody wants to fight the right of owning a gun, It is uh, uh, disturbing.
1: It is disturbing, you know, and and we go back to the same issue. I mean, people, prominent people in the society that can carry a voice are not doing it. You know, there are people that are not saying anything about this sort of, uh, uh, I call it an anomaly. You know, I think we're in a period of a very anomaly, almost like a little correction in a way. But I, I do feel like, yeah, the, the focus have been fomenting differences rather than what unite us. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking then, you know, people in prominent positions are not saying anything. So this is kind of troubling to me, you know. But we'll need to continue to remind that these are anomalies. I mean, these are really aberrations in a way. And so we can always overcome. And the community and all of the allies are really thinking like this too. I mean, it's gonna take a big effort from all of us to really start pushing and making changes at the levels that are going to be needed. You know? Es
0: totalmente cierto lo que estás diciendo, y yo creo que también necesitamos, como tú dices, la ayuda de toda la comunidad. Y yo lo que veo también es que las comunidades pequeñas, nosotros como miembros de la comunidad aquí en nuestra área, tenemos que este, salir, levantarnos. Levantar nuestra voz y realmente este, hacerla llegar a los que nos representan para que ellos puedan también transportar esa voz más adelante. Eh, en estos momentos, el silencio y el miedo son nuestros enemigos. Exacto, y tú, tú como comunidad, tenemos que participar. De, a, a, a vemos, como dices, hay gente que está en, el, en, el, en la posición de poder expresar la voz, poder reflejar el sentimiento de la comunidad, pero muchas de las veces no lo hacen. ¿Por qué? Porque están en una posición cómoda. No quieren este, uh, alterar su, su círculo, su, su privilegio que tienen en estos momentos. ¿Me entiendes? Es, es un momento en que la comunidad... La comunidad latina, la comunidad mexicana, necesita levantar su voz. No esperar a que otros vengan y, y la levanten por ti.
1: It's very important, you know. And at the same time, then we're reeling over this tragic event in in El Paso. Let's not forget about Mississippi a few a few days ago as well, with 650. Uh, members of the Latino community get taken by ICE and deported and the breakage of family, the separation, the trauma and all of that. You know, I mean, we are uh, at this point, you know, the the focus might be on the Latino community, but it's mostly an idea of all communities, uh, minorities or communities of color that are being the target, you know. So we need to make our voices heard. We need to uh, we need to say something. We can't stay silent. Being silent is actually promoting this sort of behavior to continue. You know, you can't stay silent. You have to say something one way or the other. You have to pronounce yourself. I, I think this is kind of... Uh,
0: neutrality, it doesn't help anybody. Right. Um, I, I remember reading something about the silence never helped the oppressed always helps and, and promote to the oppressor one of the thing is if we stay silent we are just allowing the, the oppressor to do harm to our communities to oh. harm our, our kids our families
2: I think it's more important now than it has been in a really long time to for people to speak up for sure um, I I my daughter um, she's she's 12 she just turned 12 but I coach basketball and um one of her little girlfriends you know opened up to me and she was scared to death that her father was going to be deported and I think the pain that I saw in her eyes it's um it it we just we have to stand together as a community wherever you come from and my heart went out to this little girl and um what she must deal with I'm sure she's not thinking about her studies like her mind her focus is not there she's just scared to death she's going to lose her dad and as a parent that's that's hard it's hard for me not to choke up right now just talking about it because I'm watching friends that I know or people that I know having their families ripped apart and um I can't imagine if my son or my daughter got ripped away from me like that. I don't, I don't know what I would do. So as a community, we all need to stand together.
0: And these incidents, they affect the whole community. It's not just one specific group. It ended up affecting the whole country, you know. And this is a technique to scare, to, to, to uh, what I say, that, that these people, these systems, what they do, these type of actions dehumanize our communities, mm-hmm. you know, because it happened already with the youth community, happened with the Native American community, and not just on this country, but the Native American community from all America, right. from north to south, you or know? And, get about. and the thing is, we are talking about the, the, what happened to, to, to Native women being kidnapped, being killed, and nobody does nothing. Why? Because they don't think that we're worth to being protected. Because there is laws already, but they don't implement them. Why? Because according to their, their values and beliefs, they don't believe that we deserve to be protected. So dehumanizing our communities is not okay and it's not just dehumanizing the Latino communities, it's dehumanizing the Native American community, all communities from North to South America. Dehumanize the uh, black communities. Dehumanize oh, so the, the Asian communities.
2: The oppressor is always talking about how, like, these divisions, like, they're pitting people against each other. Um, it's, 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 it's an insane time to live in really. I, I can't believe that we're here today. I feel like we're back in the 1960s or the 70s. I really felt like we had come much further than this. But I think it is, I mean, that's how you divide a people. Is this person's after you, and we're going to pit you against you. And all of a sudden, you see these, these tragedies happening, and that's...
1: And the oppressor you know, is very good at that. Right? The oppressor have been doing this for a long time, so they have a lot of experience, pinning right. one group against the other. Telling this is the enemy, and not I'm not the enemy, this is the enemy, right. you know. And, uh, but, but yeah, this is time for action. This is time for action. There is no time to be silent, you es know. Silencing right now is being, uh, is accepting what is happening, and that is not right.
0: Este es el momento en que nuestras comunidades necesitan unir sus voces y hacerlas escuchar uh, alzar las voces y que se escuchen es el momento en que tenemos que salir del miedo y pararnos y hacerles saber que no nos vamos a doblegar tenemos que um, uh, uh, expresarnos buscar nuestras voces internas y sacarlas para poder realmente proteger a nuestras comunidades cuando nosotros hablamos o cuando yo pienso en la protección de nuestras comunidades no estoy pensando nada más en la protección de la comunidad latina, de la comunidad mexicana. Este tipo de acciones, en las cuales una persona con una mentalidad de supremacía blanca siente el derecho de poder ir y atacar otras comunidades, no nada más afecta a una, afecta a todas las comunidades, a todo el país. Y al momento en que nosotros levantamos la voz, nos levantamos... Pues ayudamos no nada más a nuestra comunidad, ayudamos al resto de las comunidades que nos van a apoyar o que potencialmente en el futuro pueden ser un blanco para estos ataques. Entonces como comunidad tenemos que estar en contra de la deshumanización de otros grupos porque es la forma en que este, estas retóricas de supremacía blanca trabajan en el hecho de deshumanizar otras comunidades deshumanizar a las comunidades nativas americanas desde el norte hasta el sur de América a deshumanizar las comunidades judías a deshumanizar a las comunidades asiáticas a deshumanizar a la gente pobre y a deshumanizar a los aliados entonces una de las cosas que tenemos que hacer es que tenemos que levantarnos y alzar nuestras voces y pedir que se respeten los derechos de todos en este país, de todos en estas, en nuestras comunidades. Bueno, muchas gracias por habernos escuchado. Este, estamos terminando el programa, el tiempo se nos ha ido. Este espero que estas conversaciones les sean de utilidad, espero que le ayuden a reflexionar. ...en torno a la participación en nuestras comunidades. Si usted quiere tener más información acerca de Bradford Island... ...y acerca de lo que la comunidad está haciendo para unirse... ...para sobresalir estos tiempos en los cuales nuestras comunidades... ...han sido blanco del terrorismo, de la supremacía blanca... Pues bueno, usted puede comunicarse conmigo al 541 490 7722. Mi nombre es Ubaldo Hernández. Esta noche estuvo con nosotros Carlos Marroquin. Gracias. Tonight we have Becca.
2: Thank you.
0: We really uh, appreciate Becca, your uh, perspective and your uh, willing to, to share your, your experience with us and with our community. So we hope to we hope to see you again here one of these days. Yeah, Come back sure and keep be. talking because that's really interesting topic. It is, it is. Yeah. So, well, uh, espero que ustedes tengan una buena noche. Nos vemos dentro de 15 días el martes a las 7 de la noche. Recuerde que usted está escuchando Conoce tu Columbia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada 15 días de 7 a 8 de la noche. Buenas noches, hasta luego. Usted está escuchando Radio Tierra en el 95.1 FM Hood River, 95.9 FM Stevenson, 107.1 FM Parkdale, 107.7 FM Dedells, Casas, El Latido del Golf, su radio comunitaria.